Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to today's In Conversation With podcast. Today I am joined by wine guru, connoisseur, writer and now entrepreneur, Matthew Jukes. Please remember we are recording this podcast remotely, so if the sound is not tip-top, then do please bear with us. Matthew, welcome. I don't know why I woke up this morning so excited to do this podcast, probably because it's sunny, it's Friday and I'm looking forward to a drink later. Yeah, me too. The weather's going to be good for the next few days. I'm feeling very positive and like you, a little thirsty. I only came across you recently when I was sitting down with my husband drinking a nice oaky, buttery, basically right up my street Chardonnay and I assumed it was something quite special and I said, what is this? And he said, oh, it was recommended by this guy I follow called Matthew Jukes and it's 12 quid and it came from I don't know was it Waitrose Tanners it's Tanners that's exactly yeah. it and what was the wine called can you remember the it name a, it was a Macon that I wrote up recently as part it of was. Uh, one of the wine offers that I was featuring exactly that's what it was a yellow label and a nice yellowy wine which I know I'm always going to like when I see it in the glass anyway it was bloody good and here we are now you know doing a couple of things together so that's great let's start off Matthew just talking about how you got into wine have you always been in the wine world is it in your blood is it in your family talk us through the story yeah it's not so much in my family my mother was a cookery teacher but it's certainly been my career from day one because I dropped out of a physics degree after a few terms so knowing I couldn't, I couldn't like it I mean there's no chance I could get, no. get my head around the maths and stuff and my mother was doing this evening course at Leith's. She was working for Pre-Leith. And I said, look, I'd love to come along and sit in on this. It was a food and wine lecture. And I was, you know, obviously starving student, loved a glass of wine and a, and a plate of food. So I sat at the back of the room and listened in and thought, goodness me, I know quite a lot of this already, sort of general knowledge wise. I knew a number of the regions they were talking about, had heard of some of the wines. And at the end, I just walked up to the lecturer and said, look, I'm not doing too well at physics, but I love this wine stuff. And um, what do you think? And he said, you know, there's a job going in Barnes in SW13 in London. So go to your bicycle cycle down and see if you fancy it and, and I got the job and that was 34 years ago. Wow and what was the job? Working in the Barnes wine shop at just sort of stacking shelves and helping out but the kind of fluke about it was that it was one of the great wine merchants of the UK. It won the Telegraph's Wine Merchant of the Year Award. Um, Can we have a name? Yeah the Barnes wine shop simply called oh, that right. on the high street in Barnes. It's now actually a Lee and Sanderman shop oh. um, and they're a very very good merchant in, mm. in, in London but um, it's the same premises and yeah I was there in April 87 and the buyer for the shop was a chap called James Rogers and he was without doubt the finest palate I've ever met in my life he sadly passed away a number of years ago and he taught me how to taste and literally that was it so can um, you learn how to taste or are you born with it do you know what he taught me the physical way to taste to get the most out of a glass of wine in a short period of time so it wasn't a long lesson but then it was more how to try to remember the triggers of the wines the things that made the wine interesting or delicious or whatever and to 
move at speed and to concentrate because you've got to get through a lot of wines to find a good one. You know, you've got to kiss a, a lot of frogs. And I taste getting on for 40,000 bottles a year these days, wow. which, is, which is more than more than anyone else I've ever Wow, I'm going in my brain at how many that is a day. I mean, more that's than, more what... than 100 every day. So people listening, tasting wine, sat holes, swilling it around your mouth, yeah. inhaling the air, spitting in buckets, etc. Yeah. Is that all like the real deal? Yeah, it is the real deal. But a lot of people think that it, the sort of in the mouth drinking bit of it is the important bit. It's not the nose bit. The aroma, the perfume, is the most important bit. That's the bit where you can unlock the DNA of the wine and you can see whether or not the palate is going to be decent. And then of course the palate just backs it up, just confirms your initial thoughts love that so you worked in this wine shop you were taught by the buyer yeah. and how did you progress well i did that for a few years and i thought you know kind of tasted all the wines on the shelf i was starting to go out to big tastings and learn more and i was sort of quite ambitious at the time so i moved into the city and worked for an old established firm called greens in the royal exchange before it was renovated and there i learned about the classics so the barnes wine shop was kind of modern stuff you know everyday drinking funky stuff like you know it's a we launched cloudy base over when you're there but you know <laughs> some of these it was a really interesting place to be but working mm. for greens in the city was all about the venerable old clarets and the great burgundies and yeah, yeah. Port and all that and so i did that for a little bit the world of wine that makes a lot of us feel quite intimidated i am yeah, going to say yeah. that that's right you know, it doesn't do many favors for, for no, wine i don't think and it's stuffy it was stuffy then it's kind of stuffy now but i thought i needed to to learn this stuff in order to have the yeah. confidence and the sort of you know internal gravitas to be able to go to the next stage and the next stage was buying so i very luckily got offered a job to buy the wines for bibendum restaurant which is a beautiful place in the michelin building on the fulham road and the chef was simon Good hopkinson now. who is you know literally one of the greatest chefs in the world and so i went to work in 1990 at the tender age of 22 to buy the wines for an you know an award-winning chef with a cellar with a thousand wines in it it was Gosh. really remarkable and, and i wasn't mm. a sommelier i was a buyer so my whole job was running the list running the cellar going to tastings being right amazing. at the forefront of everything it was a fascinating time oh did um, you love it sounds like an amazing job yeah 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 it was cool you know my directors were terence conran paul hamlin as in hamlin books octopus publishing oh wow um, and simon hopkinson so i I was rubbing shoulders with some <laughs> very heavyweight people with great taste. And back then, of course, you know, people like Elizabeth David used to come into the restaurant all the time and Francis Bacon. And at that time of, in London, it was the birth of modern British, you know, cooking, that stunning, mm. a catch-all term. Mm. So Roly Lee was doing his thing. You know, we had Sally Clark Do doing her thing that the River Cafe kicked off. Yeah. You know, it was a stunning, stunning time. Caprice, you know, Ivy, yeah. things like that. I was a young man. Loving it. Running around town. It was it was fabulous. <laughs> Did you ever think about being a sommelier? No, I didn't so much because obviously it's a great profession. The hours are a little bit tricky, quite late hours. But I was more into the buying side. I was more into tasting everything. If you're a sommelier, generally, you'd be stuck with one restaurant minus. And I wanted to taste the world. And I, and I wanted to taste it now. I was very impatient. And I wanted to talk about wine. And so what happened was one day when I was in Bibendum, I was overheard by a wonderful lady called Fee Glover, who's a brilliant broadcaster on BBC and she was doing the breakfast show for GLR London's FM station at the time with Gideon Coe who's another awesome DJ and, and, and radio presenter on six and they invited me in to do a voice test so I went into the Beeb and ended up getting the job doing a weekly radio show on GLR so this was back in the 90s cool. um, 
And that just brought me to the attention of loads of people. It was really fluky because there was a TV producer listening in, the chap that sort of did the um, Annika Rice's treasure hunt show <laughs> and he said look let's do one let's of the all-time best shows ever in yeah, the 80s I know. Can I just say? It's, it's amazing and he also did crystal maze which i rather like oh, and another <laughs> <laughs> and he said look let's do wine hunts let's do a wine show and so i i got the job as the presenter of that show and we had a, a series on channel four you know this was 1999 so it's a bloody long time ago and you know just kind of everyone saw it so that was the trigger to get me into writing because the, I was asked to write a book and I thought my god I don't even have English O level but I had a go at writing this book and it suddenly became a bestseller and oh really and um yeah it was <laughs> called wine everything you needed to know about wine but were afraid to ask and that was what oh what a great name really did and yeah the Daily Mail serialized it in Weekend Magazine and, and with the response from the readers they asked me to be their wine writer so that was 20 wow. years ago and I've been at the Mail ever since wow that's so that's a great story <laughs> so you write for the Mail you yeah. have a very very popular column and you also write for Money Week which yeah, I is love where Money Week. Oh. my husband loves Money Week and I love Merrin Somerset Webb yeah, who actually so I'm interviewing um, in a couple of weeks she oh, is Force, yeah, she's brilliant. Okay. I've done an event with her before. She recruited me. She said, Look, come in for a chat. And I went in for a chat. And she said, Right, you've got the job. And I've seen her once since that interview. Well, she lives um, in Edinburgh, doesn't she? I know, so. I know. So she's my sort of guiding light there. And she gave me a stunning break because I think I've been there for 16 years every Friday writing my column. And mm. it is the column that just sells so much fine wine it is unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the opposite of the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is, you know, millions of people buying every day drinking, you know, really fabulous value wines. But Money Week's the, the sort of crazy stuff. Push the boat out. Yeah, it's a great demographic, stuff. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I love them. Well, my husband loves it. Yeah, people listening, Marin is the editor of Money Week, which is the financial version of the week. Anyway, it's a great publication. So we're going to come on to Duke's Cordialities. But do you spend of your time writing is that the bulk of your career yeah i write for really weighty annual reports so one on australian wines called 100 best australian wines which i then take in a roadshow tasting wines around the world so that's a pretty big venture um then my piemonte report so that is a really in-depth report about the wines from piemonte so barolo and barbaresco the great wines were made by the Nebbiolo grape, and that is actually being published on uh, Monday. So that's a 120,000 word report. So that's a, a book. Wow. And then two en primeur reports. So Bordeaux en primeur and Burgundy en primeur, which are fascinating for wine nerds, and they're very important. And so I do those big reports. I write my weekly and monthly columns. I write a column for a magazine called Vineyard Magazine, which is a yes. very in-depth analysis of the English and Welsh wine scene, which I really enjoy doing. And then I do occasional columns for other publications. I used to write for Rowan Pelling's magazine, The Amorist, and Decanter and things like that. I'm sort of very occasional. But then, to be honest, it's events. I do masses and masses of wine tastings, which I love. The best thing about wine is holding a glass of wine and having, you know, 50, 100, 500 people holding the same glass of wine and yeah. talking about it. It. that's where it really gets fun yeah well on the writing theme you very kindly wrote a feature for SL Man on your yeah. what was it your top 10 under 12 pounds that's right and the response we got to it was insane <laughs> I also put a message on my Instagram stories earlier in the week saying that I was interviewing you on a podcast and did anyone have any wine questions oh my 
God. I had so many questions. So, Matthew, I have got them here. I'm going to fire them at you. Okay. And I know we're all going to learn so much. One of the questions that came up a few times was, where do people start if they know nothing but want to know more? This is a boring answer, but it's the right answer. And that is, every time you drink a glass of wine that you like, these days you can just take a picture of the label, yeah? Yeah. And get a folder on your phone, whatever you call it, and stick all those pictures in Mm. so that you have a memory bank. Because you're not going to remember all the details in your brain. You'll have a photo album of labels that you like. And then when you go to a wine merchant or go to a shop, you can then follow some of the names and the regions of the grapes on the wines that you've already approved with your own palate and keep progressing down those paths and then refine your tastes. Mm. So it's a little bit like music. If you hear a song in the car and you don't write it down or, you know, you you forget the name of the band, you're stuffed. Mm. But if you're able immediately to capture that song and Mm. put it into a little folder, then you'll be able to listen to the band again and and look at their back catalogue or find out who the lead singer is or whatever. Same thing with wine. Mm. I love the idea of filing the labels. Yeah. What about wine courses? If you do want to learn about wine, do you recommend those? Do you think they're worth the money? Some of them are quite expensive. And then yeah. there are some that sound quite shit that are cheap. Yeah, do you know what? Um, wine courses, if you prepare to go back to school, then that's fine. If you're into that, if you're good at learning, if you're a studious type, then sometimes they can be quite interesting. There's not a lot of fun involved in wine courses. There's not a lot of um, hilarity and mm. excitement. They can be a bit classroomy. What I would suggest you do is sort of learn on the job. So sign up to wine tastings not tasting courses so get in touch with your favorite wine merchants when we all emerge from this lockdown sign up to their newsletter Mm. and find out when they're doing public tastings they will do lots of them okay they will always give you a booklet with the names of the wines a few details on the wines the prices and then go around as if you're a professional don't walk around like you're a massively thirsty boozer walk around as if you're a professional make notes honestly write notes even write yum or three ticks or a happy face and write crosses as well i don't like that one but i do like that one okay and that way you'll learn on the job in a much more gregarious environment Mm. and also you'll taste many 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 more wines than you will at a wine course when you'll taste six or eight each time at these big wine tastings you can taste sort of 50 or 60 and then you're narrowing down to Mm. the bits of the world that you really like the winemakers you like you've got your own notes so you can bring them home you can look them up on the internet you can look up the wineries um websites and read a bit more about it you can figure out if it's near where you go on holiday or perhaps you might want to plan a special holiday to go and visit that part of the world all wine regions are beautiful because they've all got sunshine obviously to ripen the grapes Mm. they generally have you know nice cool winters and cool evenings because the grapes like to have nice acidity they often have you know a smattering of rainfalls they're often quite verdant and, and beautiful And there's always a hill involved somewhere. So picturesque. (laughs) So, you know, going on a sort of holiday and involving wine tasting is great fun. But if you went somewhere where you didn't like the wines, it'd be a mug, wouldn't you? So it'd be a shame. It'd be a shame, wouldn't it? Yeah, do the research in advance. And what do you think of those wine bars where you go in and you buy a token and you try different glasses? I quite enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they're Um, good? The problem with that is the machines are not perfect. No. So there's no substitute for going into a wine bar or restaurant and six of you buying a bottle of wine and having, you know, splitting that bottle into six glasses and then buying another bottle of wine and splitting that next bottle into six glasses or eight glasses or ten glasses. You don't want to get taste that many. I mean, I guess the thing with those, whether it's a bottle in a restaurant or in a tasting bar is you've got to buy a whole glass haven't you so yeah you yeah but yeah i get that if you're the right numbers there you can make it work by the bottle and by the bottle is the freshest way you can do it obviously however True. if you do want True. to go in and have little little nibbles at, at wines it's a good way to do it again 
I think they can be quite expensive because, of course, there's a bit of overheads, a bit of kit involved, a bit of maintenance involved. And so it's quite an expensive thing to do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Can you tell me, does price always reflect quality? The answer is no, because, of course, there are plenty of expensive wines in the world that I think are, are frankly rubbish. But price does give you an indication of how special the winery thinks the wine is. And, okay. and, and sometimes the winery is right. And therefore, scarcity or pedigree or ageability or just sheer grandeur, those wines are never cheap. Yeah. However, this is a bad name drop, but I was sent um, <laughs> two, two champagnes we love a name drop. a rapper called Drake. And two of his new champagnes at the end of last year to taste. And what he wanted was he wanted a, a tasting note on these wines that was favourable such that he could attach it to the product. And hopefully, you know, they'd go nuts in the market. And of course, they're going potty in, in America. They're three or four hundred quid a bottle or whatever. And the wines were frankly terrible. I mean, really bad. What was your note then? Well, my note was, look, I'm, I'm not prepared to, to write a tasting. Note. I'm not going to criticise them to you. You're not going to use a bad note. So therefore, I'm going to write no note. I'll just say, look, politely, I'll decline to make, make a note on these. They're not interesting. They're not the sort of thing I would write up in one of my columns. And also, they're not champagne. They're not fizzy enough. I suspect what he'd done is decanted wine into fancy bottles, because they were in very fancy bottles. And this champagne that he'd decanted in had gone a bit flat. That's what I think. Oh, ouch. But, um, I mean, you know, uh, lawsuits aside, and that is clearly, you know, just my opinion, yeah. You can have very expensive wines that full fat on their face. And also, I can find very cheap wines. So, for example, in SL Man, there's a claret, um, a red Bordeaux I wrote up in the SL Man piece that's mm. a tenor. It's called Chateau Barrère, and it is sublime. And so that's what I do. That's why I taste so many wines. I've got to find those great wines. Yeah. Um, then it's my delight to tell everybody about them. Yeah. Someone said, if you're buying online at the moment and you can't taste, what should you be looking for? This is really important. You should be looking for recommendations. So find a critic. So editorial so like me, or critics or, yeah, yeah. Someone like you, who you trust, who you know, or you know their taste. Don't ask me. I just like really them. expensive New World Chardonnay. <laughs> so I'm going to cost you money. Fab. But the point about that is we all do this in other walks of life. So why wouldn't we do this in mine? Yeah. So we do this with restaurants. We love restaurant critics. We avidly read restaurant critics and we don't go to restaurants that they, they say are rubbish. And we go to restaurants mm. and we put a, make a little note to go to new restaurants that they say are good. Same thing with music. Same thing mm. with, you know, the TV guide. There's what to watch, the pick of the week. There's this sort of stuff. So we follow people who have good taste and who are experienced. And so I think with wine, you can find a wine critic you like and follow them. Hopefully that's me, yeah. but it could equally be you know, Helen McGinn in Female in the Daily Mail or yes. Will Lyons in the Times or, you know, Victoria Moore's writing in the Telegraph is outstanding and follow their li- until they let you down. Mm. If you go, oh, I didn't like that one, stop, yeah. you know, and then change. Yeah. I would do that rather than gambling your hard-earned cash on wines you simply might not like. It's like walking to a shop and saying, right, can I have five um, CDs, please? No, 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 you choose. Yeah. And then you go home and expect to like those five or, pieces of music. Or reading the description on the back that the marketing team wrote yeah, that clearly is not going to tell you. Yeah. Rubbish. Okay. And tell me, <laughs> should you be wary of offers? My memories of growing up in the 80s and going to the supermarket with my mother would just... Yeah. It was just like a Sauvignon Blanc, which I mean, I loathe a Sauvignon Blanc personally. I think there's one or two exceptions to the rule, but on the whole, I avoid them like the plague. But she would just go and at the end of the island, Sainsbury's, there'd be a Sauvignon Blanc. I yeah, mean, I yeah. remember when a Sauvignon Blanc was £3.50 or something. Yeah, yeah. And then it would get, that's obviously quite extreme. But offers, you know, Waitrose does some amazing offers, I think, yes, doesn't you, it? Yes, you've got to the nub of the, the answer here is that if you follow wines that you like, again, taking pictures of the labels, keeping abreast of what's going on, 
and then you're aware of when the Waitrose does different offers each month, just don't buy wine at maximum price. If it's a sort of, you know, tenner or a 12 quid or something like that, or an eight quid wine, just wait for the offer. It's going to come around. Yeah, if it's happened So good before, stuff does go on offer is what you're absolutely saying. Absolutely right. And also the other thing, this is a seriously hot tip, which I learned, you know, three decades ago, and people still don't seem to understand, is when you buy wine by the case from any wine merchant in the world, there is a discount. Okay. It okay. could be 10, 15, 20% discount. Yeah. Majestic do a thing called a mix six. So it's a, again, it's just, they dress it up in lots of different expressions, but there's a discount. But don't they always now, slip in with a mix six? Don't they always slip in one or two? No, no. But the, so you can buy a mix six, six as a pure six as well or whatever. Okay. Now, the, the thing about this, okay, is that you'll reply to me, maybe, hang on a second. I don't want <laughs> six or 12 bottles of that one wine. And I said, well, hang on, you've got a bit of a saving there. Why don't you have a group of two or three pals and for those sort of wines, split them between you when you get home. Yeah, split them up with your, your neighbour or, or a great friend or a work colleague. Yeah. Say, look, hey, I've just spotted this wine has gone on sale or this wine's yeah. buy 12 bottles. And you split it into two, you get six each with your yeah. friend or split it into three, get four bottles each. You're going to motor through four bottles of wine. But what you're doing is you're buying them at the cheapest possible price. Yeah. So don't balk at buying a case. Just find a like-minded friend who... It's happy to share. I'm not talking about seriously expensive wines. I'm talking about, you know, everyday drinking. As soon as you spot that deal, just bite the bullet and buy a case and mm. then, you know, share it out amongst your friends. Mm. Mm. Talk to me about wine subscriptions. Are any of them good? Well, there's the obvious answer is MatthewDukes.com is the greatest membership that you can oh, buy. Oh, you have one, do you? That's yeah, cool. So, so on my website, you can read all of my reports if you're a member. But otherwise, you can sign up as a friend, as in the term friend means you pay nothing. It's free. Yeah. And you can read all of my writing for free apart from my four reports. That's cool. So, but will you actually deliver the wine? No, no, I don't sell wine. You don't this do is, that. But okay. it tells you every single price and merchant with click-throughs of where to get the wine. So it's a filtering system. Okay, brilliant. Which puts brilliant. you straight... But uh, let me answer the question from a different angle. There is a membership which I adore and yeah. which you ought to, if you're not already a member of, join in on, which is the Wine Society. Now, the Wine Society is famous for having, you know, thousands of dinosaur members who bang on about being part of this exclusive club. Do you know what? It's a wine merchant with extraordinarily low margins. And the point about that is they keep their margins low because it's a non-profit making company. Okay. It just exists to keep itself in business to fulfill this service. And the membership is 35 quid, right? So it's peanuts. So if you join up for 35 quid and you look on their wines and you find something you like, if you buy a case, you've got that 35 quid back in reclaiming the margin, that the discount that they, they put the wines on the website for. And you know what? You will find they have an extraordinarily diverse list of really, really super wines. It often happens when I tweet my weekly wines in the mail or in Money Week on my Twitter account, Wine Society always reads my recommendations. They mm. will then tweet, we sell these wines too, and then they quote the prices, and it's two or three quid a bottle cheaper for each <laughs> of the wines. So that's okay. why the Wine Society is a very valuable tool. Really, really okay. important. Um, and a well, very powerful I, buying company. Can I give a shout out? You'll know them, I know. But yeah. talking about saving two or three pounds a bottle, do you yeah. know North and South Wines? I do. They're brilliant, right? It's on my circuit with my two little boys. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> And we load them into the pushchair and I walk down to Clapham and then all the way yeah. along Northcote Road, right to the very end. 
Yeah. And I pop in, and I bought two bottles there last weekend, two Italian whites last weekend. Yeah. And then I walk up to Wandsworth Common, and we kick a football, find the Bears, which is their favourite game at the moment. Come back to my house. It's a good, nice two-hour walk, and we come back with two and bottles. And everyone's <laughs> happy. They've spotted some bears, and you've got yeah. some wine. Yeah. Well, for people listening, I mean, it is in South of London, I hasten to add. However, yeah. there is a website you can order online. A girlfriend of mine is massively into her wine, and she got us onto this. And they will sell Chateauneuf du Pape, Whispering Angel, whatever it is, like big names. Yeah. Like they'll do a promotion, it'll last for 48 hours. And my husband's yeah. like, quick, I've got to leave work early to get to North and South Wines. Because anyway, it's brilliant. If you are into wine, you're listening, it's, I, I think it's a real gem. Yeah, me too. The other place I am a big fan of that does a subscription service or a membership different to yours, like you buy the product, is the Humble Grape. Yeah. And I think they have just really such interesting wines. Yeah. And I know the founder and I just think it's a really cool business. We're so spoiled in the UK, and yeah. particularly in London. And London's the centre of the wine world. We have some of the most dynamic independent wine merchants you can think of. Certainly in our sort of southwest quadrant, we're spoiled for choice with yeah. you know, Hanford has just opened up again on the Brompton Road. Lee and Sanderman's various shops are, are amazing. Yeah. Haynes Hansen and Clark in Chelsea yeah. Green is one of the great, great wine merchants of the world. There's loads of people, really super wine merchants. Mm. You'll never run out of wine. One of the questions that I was asked, I lost count of how many times, is supermarket wine. Yeah. Good supermarket wine, good mid-priced supermarket wine. You can buy good wine in supermarkets, right? You can. One of my Daily Mail initiatives is it's kind of an analysis of the best supermarket wines every year. It's called the Weekend Wine Awards. And I take it extraordinarily seriously. It's a proper competition. And we really get to the bottom of what's the best stuff with a, a panel of judges. I had Fred X on it last year, Jane Parkinson, Emma Rice, who's the winemaker of Hattingley Valley. Some proper palates help me. But I think the best mid-price supermarket wine today is Yering Station Elms, as in the tree, Chardonnay and there's a Pinot Noir so that Australian Chardonnay Australian Pinot Noir from the Yarra Valley from one of the oldest wineries in Australia from brilliant fruit they're both sold in Waitrose and they are both under a tenner ah great tip so buy one of each they are stunning wines can you give us a couple of other supermarket winners yes I can I these days very rarely find wines at five pounds that are any good because most uh, of it's tax and most of it's tax, GT, VAT, whatever. Yeah. You know, the cost of the glass, the cost of the label, the cost of the capsule, the cost of the cork. Yeah. You know, there's about forty P's worth of wine in there. Yeah. So that's when, such a good point that a lot of people don't know. Oh, know. The margins are so shit. So there does come a point where you are not getting anything for your money. No. But with that in mind, every so often, you know, once a year or once every two years, a wine comes up and I think, golly, that's pretty cool. And it's part of the Marks and Spencer new range. It's their new super cheapy range with horrible garish labels, sort of fruity and spicy or dry and lean or whatever. They look pretty sort of play school on the labels. But mm. one of these wines is a cracker and it's got the horrible title, Rich and Smooth Spanish Red. So <sighs> as soon as you get home, decant it into a decanter or at least pour it into a jug or something chuck mm. the bottle in the recycling bin. But the wine itself is really rewarding. It's not special in any way, but it's a cracking, beautiful, professional piece of work. Um, so rich and smooth Spanish red. And then I suppose we're all in the rosé kind of mode at the moment. Mm. And there are loads of great rosés around. Something that you can remember very easily. Jules Rosé from Cambridge Wine is a tenor. It's a Provence rosé made by an Englishman, Julian Faulkner. But the great thing about this wine is it's the 
baby brother of Le Grand Crow, which is a proper Provencal rosé. It's the second label, if you will. And where can you buy it? Cambridge Wine. So cambridgewine.com right. or whatever. Okay. Do what I say. Grab a case for 120 quid or whatever it is and then split it up with your mates. You will be thrilled with this wine. Hmm. And then there's another one in Co-op. Co-op, co-op does great. some good, good wine, doesn't it? Surprisingly good wine. Great Amelia buyer. Singer, who often comes on our show, she loves a co-op. They have one called Ramon Bilbao. El Viaje de Ramon. So the Voyages of Ramon. And it's a seven quid um, rosé, rosado, they call it, from co-op. It's down to seven quid from eight quid. It's absolutely stunning, stunning wine. Cool. Something Amelia told me about, which I now honestly buy, by the God knows how many, is Cremant de Jura at Aldi. Uh, yes, yes. Which I think is a really brilliant, brilliant tip. When Aldi started off in the UK, it was one of their best wines at the very beginning. And most of us wine journos jumped on it. And, you know, they've kept up the standard, even though they must be selling many, many more cases of the stuff. And it's a nice, clean, balanced sparkler. Yes, and the Jura is a, is a sort of mountainous region. So it's got freshness to it. It's got that sort of alpine brightness to it. And I mm. think that's what you want in a sparkling wine. So, yeah, I agree. Mm. I agree. So what about mid-priced supermarket wines? You've kind of done under £10. For sort of yeah. 15 16 is it still a good place okay. to go? I mean, Waitrose has some good stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, Waitrose always has some good stuff around that sort of mark. Let me combine your love of Oaky Chardonnays and this question, <laughs> because I think it's probably one of the finest value white burgundies you can buy in the UK is a wine called Viré Classé. So in the old days, it used to be called a Macon Classé, but it's now called Viré Classé. V-I-R-E-C-L-E-S-S-E from Florent Rouge. And it's in Marks and Spencer. And it's 14 quid. Now, 14 quid isn't 24 quid or 34 quid, but it tastes like a 24 or 34 pound wine. I promise you. It is a stunning, stunning, classy white burgundy. So that's Chardonnay, okay. Oaky Chardonnay at its best. Good tip. Right. Dinner party wine, best practice, please. I presume urge, it's as if you're the host. Yeah, I would urge you to do two things for your dinner party. I'm assuming you've got the wine right and you followed someone's advice. You're confident about the wine. Please make sure that it somehow matches the food so that it doesn't tread all over the toes of what you've cooked. Um, It doesn't need to be perfect. You obviously need to like it. But, you know, get it somehow close to what the food is that you've bothered to cook. And then the two tips are make sure that the temperature of the wines is correct. Temperature is vital with wine. Do you ever chill a red? I chill a red often. I hate. How do you know whether to chill a red? brighter lighter styles of red can cope with a little bit of a chilling but only you know 15 minutes in the fridge obviously the more expensive a red is you the more you want it to sort of breathe and expand but what i don't like is over chilled white wines so if you've got a chardonnay like you've got a rich expensive classy chardonnay or even a 10 pound you know honeycomb chardonnay again from m&s made by my great mate rollo gab from south africa that's Mm -hmm. a very grand nine pound fifty chardonnay You don't want that ice cold. Don't kill it. Cold inhibits fruit. So cold kills fruit. So So if the wine's got lots of fruit, then don't chill it to an inch of its death. So does that answer the question, etiquette on ice and wine? (laughs) No, no. Ice and wine's a different thing. Ice and wine is when you're sitting outside and the sunshine has got to the wine such that it's not chilled anymore, not pleasant and refreshing anymore, then lob a cube in, definitely. Absolutely. Even in a white, not just yeah. a rosé. Even in a okay. white, in a rosé. Do you know what? I've done it in a red as well. Uh, but what you can do is you can drink it off the cube and then as soon as you get to the bottom of the glass, chuck the cube out over your shoulder 
So don't okay. further dilute the wine. Just use the cube to chill just it. Drink it, it quickly it. before yeah. the, the ice melts. That's a brilliant yeah. excuse for drinking quickly. Yeah, my approach with ice in my wine is that I might drink it more slowly. You're telling me to drink it quicker. So. I, I would put do smaller pours. Yeah, I would do okay. smaller pours. Okay. But um, the other dinner party tip is yeah. aeration. So decanting. Everybody thinks that decanting is an old farts kind of practice, but it's not. It's really important. All red wines should be decanted. Um, why? I'll tell you why in um, layman's terms is because they need to breathe. But, but what does that mean? When you pour a glass of wine into your wine glass, what do you see people do with that wine glass? They pick it up and they swirl it and then they sniff it and they drink it. And then they pick it up and they swirl it again. Well, if you're pouring your bottle into a decanter, you're doing the action of swirling. You're aerating the wine. Yeah. You're releasing the aromas and you're doing that in advance of people being served the wine. So the wine's going to be in a better condition. It's going to be mm-hmm. more expressive and more open. And it saves vigorous swirling. So decanting any red, and decanting just means pouring it from the bottle into some other vessel. It could be a jug, it could be anything. Or double decant it, pour it from a, into a jug, then back into the bottle so you can see what you're drinking. Okay. But red wine needs air, needs a little bit of air, just to let it relax, just to let it chill out a bit. And also, can you just have enough of the same wines, I'd say, when you have... I mean, that's basic, isn't it? But it's nothing worse Um, than someone changing the wine every two minutes, don't you think? Yeah, I would suggest you can change the wine each course. Yes. But I wouldn't do it more often than that, unless you're a real wine aficionado and it's a wine evening. Um, Fine. Change it per course, certainly. But also, this is quite a good tip is to make sure you've got too much wine. And I say that because you don't know what people are going to want to drink. If they say, look, oh, I'd love a glass of wine. Everyone has a glass of white at the beginning. But then one of the party says, look, do you know, I'm going to stay on white. And you go, oh, God, damn it. I only had one bottle of white. They might want to stay on white. Of course, you're not spending more money opening that bottle of white. You're just going to open less red for that person. Fewer bottles of red. Yeah. So make sure you've got a little extra bottle of each in case someone sticks on the same thing. But I don't see any reason to have any more than, you know, a white and a red for typical dinner party unless of course and i I love sweet wines if you're having a pudding finishing up with a little half bottle of sweetie is just heaven oh me too heaven you talked about matching the food of the wine yeah i mean i love wine and i know what i like whatever i have no freaking clue what goes with what food like i literally couldn't tell you as far as i'm concerned smack me in the face shani i'll have with anything or or a riesling or whatever but a few people said are there apps that will help you how do you know what grapes go with what food and are there some grapes that are more versatile and that go with lots of things so I've written for 20 years for the mail, matching wine and food every weekend. I've written yeah. 14 wine books, of which 13 of them had a very comprehensive food and wine matching chapter. Yeah. And I've bought for restaurants for 26 years. So I've got the wine and food thing in me. Yeah. And what I decided to do is to edit my entire food and wine matching database and put it on my website for free and i did it last night ah there you go because you can't answer that question brilliant there is a twenty-one thousand word essay on food and wine matching ingredient by ingredient and then the reverse of that grape variety by grape variety telling you exactly what i think you ought to be opening with every dish you could possibly think of every pudding every starter every cheese french and english um That is on there for friends to read for free. And you inspired me to do that because I knew that this would be one of the questions that people would come up with. 
And so for the very first time in 20 years, I've released all of that information for free on my website. Well, I hope you're going to make them subscribe to your website before well, they, they have to subscribe see as, that report. Uh, they have to subscribe as friends. So that's free of charge. Quite right. So. Well, A, thank you. That's amazing. And be happy reading everybody. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Can you give us a very, very top line explanation in how wines are named, i.e. region versus grape? Because... Chardonnay's a great, Burgundy's yeah. a region. Yeah. You can get Chardonnay's from Burgundy. You can get Chardonnay's from yeah. Just yeah. a really like fool's guide, top line answer. Yeah, yeah, super easy. So the best wines in the world are wines with a postcode or a GPS location. In other words, they are wines that reference the field in which they're grown. Many, many, many of wines like this exist. And they're wines that say Chateau X on the label. But you understand that it comes from the vineyards surrounding Chateau X. In uh-huh. Burgundy, you have Maurice Saint-Denis, the name of a village. And then you have the name of a vineyard on la rue de Vergy. And so you can nailed down exactly which vineyard it's the size of a football pitch that's where it's come from so that's the hierarchy of postcode wines Uh additional information on these wines is the grapes that are used so you might find this on the front label or the back label but generally old world wines so wines from europe don't necessarily feel the need to tell you the grapes that are used the reason why they don't do that is because they assume that because you're familiar with the country the region and then the property because it says that on the front of the label it says chateau x bordeaux france those three details yeah you ought to know what the grapes are that are planted in that vineyard now that's a little bit of extra knowledge but the european wines don't generally show that the new world wines conversely haven't got historical back catalogue of these famous properties so they do it the other way around they say hello we're in south australia so pretty generic we're in the barossa valley so narrowing it down a bit but we're growing cabernet sauvignon or shiraz and so they're leading with the grape variety and then they tell you the brand name which doesn't necessarily represent a property or a vineyard it's a brand name like you know nike or adidas or whatever it would just be, this is made by St. Hallett. So the grapes don't come from the vineyard surrounding St. Hallett, but they're from this generic region. Okay. There's two different approaches. Got but, it. But basically, and this is a cute thing, the label on a bottle of wine is its birth certificate. It has all the information you need to know about what it's going to taste like. You just need to know how to read it. Okay. It's too complicated. Anyway. It's not. I've just told you rich and smooth Spanish red. What more do you need to know? Five well, yeah, minutes. that's <laughs> what I need to know. Can you talk to me about buttery, oaky yeah. supermarket wines? 
Yeah, look, I mentioned a few earlier, like Vera Classe and the Honeycomb yes. and, and wines like that. The buttery oaky thing comes from the Chardonnay grape, generally the, uh, from a white wine po- point of view. The Chardonnay grape being matured in oak barrels, and oak barrels taste of oak. If a barrel's new, it tastes a lot of oak. If a mm. barrel's old, it's been used two or three times, it tastes less oaky. I'm a little bit like a tea bag. The first cup of tea you make out of a tea bag, it's very strong. If you use mm-hmm. that same tea mm-hmm. bag to make a te- second cup and a third cup, it gets weaker and weaker. The flavour of oak is like seasoning in wine. It's like a salt and pepper flavour in wine. Not literally, but it heightens the flavour of the dish as such. Yeah. So if you use too much oak, it's dominant and all you can yeah. taste is oak. And that's unpleasant. You'll remember some of those wines from the old days that were just so oaky. Yeah. They were pretty hideous. But if you balance the oak, if you're a clever winemaker and use a mixture of old and, and new oak and maybe different sizes of barrels or barrels with oak from different forests in maybe France or America or Eastern Europe, then what you can do is you can really elevate the flavour of the grapes. And that's what oaky wines are all about. And the buttery flavour is actually the nuttiness and the sort of briochey tones that come from mm. the barrel, coupled with the silkiness of the Chardonnay grape. And that gives you the impression of butteriness, like a lovely buttery croissant. You know, that's the sort of sensation you're getting. And I, like you, adore wines like that, but they have to be in balance. Okay. Generally, you've got to pay up for that because an oak barrel costs five hundred pounds. So if, well, you're gonna, it, yeah. if you're going to stick Chardonnay in it, you're, it's going to be a more expensive wine. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, for example, the Honeycomb Chardonnay I mentioned earlier from MS, you know, that's got a smattering of oak in it, and it's called Honeycomb. So you know what you're going to get, don't you? It's going to taste juicy and ripe and you know mellifluous on the palate, and that's what you want. And that's you know ten quid from MS, so that's pretty cool. Mellifluous. Could you explain that, please? Flows okay. on the palate. It has momentum on the palate. The last thing you want is a fat, chubby Chardonnay that just sits down on the middle of the tongue and sets up camp and doesn't move. You want something that skitters across the palate and enlivens the taste buds. In a mellifluous way. I'm going to attempt to use that word today. (laughs) Someone said they like Chablis. What else will they like for less? All right. So Chablis, again, is Chardonnay, the great Chardonnay grape. But Chablis is a region in northern France, so it's just tucked under Paris, effectively. And, and it's bloody so expensive. It is. It's very famous. It's where the finest and purest Chardonnays in the world come from. So you've got to pay up for that a bit. But also, you know, they're not the oakiest of styles. They have quite pronounced acidity because the climate's quite cool. And so they live for quite a long time. And that's why they tend to be a little bit more expensive. But, you know, Chardonnay, Chablis, that's how you remember that Chablis is made from Chardonnay because they begin with the same letters. And they are the leaders in the world in the Chardonnay grape. So if you want to drink a wine that's Chablis shaped, but not from that region, Mm. you've got to look for a sort of a place with cool nights, place with nice brittle kind of fruit. So you can look to northern Italy, Friuli, and look for Chardonnays from up there. But Mm. my tip, I've got a specific tip for you. Yeah, we'd like a name, please. Um, You're going to get one. 2019, so last year's harvest, and the estate is called Begude, B-E-G-U-D-E. And this wine will arrive into the cellars at Goodhouse & Company. Now, Goodhouse is G-O-E-D-H-U-I-S, so Dutch spelling, Goodhouse & Company. It will arrive into their cellars. It's about 10 or 11 quid. It's imminent into the cellars, okay? And this is a wine made in Limoux. So down in the south of France, a mountainous, well, hilly region. It's not that high altitude, but it gets the requisite cool nights to give you this stunning, bright acidity that we so adore in Chablis wines. And this Begude property is owned by a great, great, great friend of mine and an Englishman called 
James Kinglake. And James gave up working in the city, went down, he did that no going back thing, went down to France, bought a property and has been making phenomenal wine there ever since. Mm. And he specialises in these really stunning, sleek, tangy Chardonnays. And I happen to know that Goodhouse is going to get this shipment very soon because they are sending me a bottle to taste and it is always an absolute bloody winner. Oh, God. Well, well done to him. He's living the dream. He's like yeah. the Mirabeau founders. Yeah, they do the exact, right. the exact same thing. Someone said, is it safe to trust screw caps? Yes, screw caps yes. are perfect. Okay, good. Screw caps are inert. They don't taste of anything and therefore all you're going to get is the taste of the wine. Corks taste of cork. If you don't believe me, stick a cork into a glass of water overnight. And then I challenge you to drink that glass of water in the morning. I need to courier. In fact, we finished it. Everyone's like, I need to courier you over. I need to Uber you over this wine. My husband, I said, that's caught. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We always have yeah. it anyway. No if wine's, if the wine's corked, it's not the wine, it's the cork. The cork has got a bacteria. Yeah. And so it's like having an awful STD. It affects the wine and there's nothing you can do about it. So the wine But it happens ruined. more than you think, I think. It certainly does. And that's why. Thank you, Matthew Jukes. This it wine does. was so caught. <laughs> and I have got a yeah. really strong sense of smell. Yeah. And yeah. we've had this fight before. We had it in a restaurant and he wouldn't believe yeah. me. And we sent it back and they came back and said, You're quite right, madam. It is yeah. caught. So anyway, you we had this. You can't drink a corked bottle of wine cork is faulty and not the wine and screw cap is not faulty and therefore the wine will be that doesn't mean the wine will be great the wine will be the wine but if it's yeah. a great wine it will but taste it's not great get under a screw cap exactly okay someone said the 30 to 40 pounds when you want something special for a date night in i mean that's not everybody but occasionally what would you recommend i have a 100 pounds spend split up into three different bottles for you okay great so average so it's 100 whole quids i'm actually writing this down no joke split into three bottles okay and they are all utterly world class okay go gatinois champagne g-a-t-i-n-o-i-s non-vintage champagne and that is made by an estate in i.e and i.e is the famous village where Bollinger hangs out. Oh, right. And these are grapes. Good neighbours. Are sold to Bollinger. Most of the grapes from this champagne house are sold to Bollinger and they go into their top, top Bollinger wines. But Gatinois keeps back a few grapes to make into their own brand and it's only 35 quid. And I promise you, it is one of the great, great champagnes of the world. Mm, the next wine is Puy Fuisse. Yes. 2017 vintage from Corner, C-O-R-N-I-N. And that's a white burgundy, so that's a Chardonnay, an oaky Chardonnay. Nice. 17 vintage is really bright and tense and vivid and vivacious in the glass. Drinking now, but will last for a few years as well. And the red is a 2012 Chateau La Rose, L-A-R-O-Z-E. Okay. A Grand Cru Saint-Emilion from Bordeaux. So it's a Oh, I like a Saint-Emilion. It's eight years old. It's drinking perfectly. It's super special. And if you add all of those together, that equals 100 quid. And they come from Haynes, Hansen and Clark. Yeah. In Chelsea Green, www.hhandc.co.uk. And those are wines that I spent a lot of time tracking down because they are the perfect, perfect splash out dinner party 
threesome you could possibly buy. Love it. Okay, what's your view on uh, American Chardonnays? Some of them can be quite big, yeah. quite hefty. 14.5%, some are 15%. That's a lot of alcohol. Give me a Stag's Leap and I'm very yeah. happy. Yeah, that's Stag's Leap's much more controlled style, but a lot of them can oh. be, you know, literally need a knife and fork to get through them. <laughs> so that's, okay. that's a little little bit rich for me. Okay. So you say the stronger the alcohol content, the heavier they are. Yeah, very much so. It doesn't mean to say that high alcohol wines aren't delicious if they're balanced, but if they're not in balance, then you'll really fill the alcohol. Okay. Let's talk about rosé. Best value budget rosé out there. So I mentioned the um, Ramon Bilbao and Co-op for, yes. for seven quid and Jules from Cambridge Wine at 10 quid. My mates at Haynes, Hanson and Clark have got a thing called Peak Rock, which is only £11, but it's got a super grand flavour. And then there are two on the high street, both in Sainsbury's. Mirabeau has the Etoile. That's oh. in Sainsbury's at 15 quid. And that's their top wine. And the 19 vintage is the finest I've ever tasted of that. So that's in Sainsbury's now. But, shock, horror, hold the front page, (laughs) Whispering Angel is now in Sainsbury's for a limited period only at 18 quid. It's lovely. Who doesn't like a bottle of whippy? I mean... I love it. it I bloody love it. Mirabeau, they have my heart, though. They are the nicest couple. As we were saying earlier, they're an English couple who moved to France to live the dream. and, And they've also just been so clever you know they've got wine in a can now they've got a rosy gin they've got their etoile they've got yeah. i just think they've been yeah. so so clever i think they're yeah. brilliant and if, brilliant and if you want to do the mirror thing i think you agree with me on this pure is the wine to go yes for, that's my um, favorite to kick off your journey so like i say yeah. about following a wine brand and tasting all the different versions start with pure and then move yeah. on yeah i remember as a child do you remember listel rosy yes listel gris and it was I, called I, gris de gris it's yeah, and it's about one. three euros. It was so cheap. Literally it's like still water. good. It's still it's good. good. That's a wine you should chuck some ice in. That's a make it a long drink. Yes. That's a, a lovely summery wine, but we're not going to be able to drink it this year because we're all stuck no. in I know, but if you go to France, it is dirt cheap. Yeah, I mean, it is really, really dirt cheap. And rosé, I, mean, I think you've answered the question. Yeah. You're saying that you can get quality rosé. Yeah, anything from seven quid to 20 quid, you've got a world of rosé. Just follow okay. my recommendations. Okay. If you're somebody that drinks white and is a white drinker, not a red drinker, but you want to get into reds, what would you advise people sort of start with? Okay, so the best way to get into reds is to go rosé first, because rosé is basically naked red. Is that um, right? Well, rosé is made from red grapes. The only difference between red wine and rosé is that when you make a rosé, you crush the grapes, mm-hmm. you leave the skin in contact with the juice, it turns mm-hmm. the juice a little bit pink. And then you just sieve off all the skins and leave it pink. For red wine, you just leave those skins in there for a few more days and it turns it red and makes it a red wine. So if you like rosé but don't like red, you're kind of not really telling the truth. Interestingly. Because rosé is literally a very, very light red. So then tiptoe up the rosé ladder. So get grander and grander roses and then make the jump into proper red wine with Beaujolais, simply. Beaujolais. Beaujolais, okay. stunning, 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 light red style. Okay. And a Pinot Noir, is that a yeah. good one to try if you're P- new to P- red? Yeah, it is. The problem with Pinots is Pinot is quite an acquired taste. It's a little bit more of a wine nerd taste about it. Juicy, ripe Pinot can cost 20 quid. Right. Um, and I would rather someone mucked around with Beaujolais at a tenner before they went yeah, to Pinot. Quite. Someone <laughs> said, out of the ordinary reds under 15, well, you obviously put some in your feature on SL Man. Are there a couple of others you can give a shout do, out to? Do you know, I've, I looked through some notes and I found one for you, only one, because okay. I can go on forever. There are thousands of wines on my website. Yeah. So, you know, millions that you can look up. Yeah. But I found one that absolutely floored me the other day. And it's called Le Pijoulet. 
So P-I-G, then O-U-L-E-T, Pigule. And it's basically a cheats version of a Chateauneuf de Pape. Oh. It's basically made by a Chateauneuf producer from Chateauneuf grapes, but just over the border outside of the Chateauneuf region, in a region, a less famous region called Vaucluse. And the 2017 vintage of this wine is £14.40. So I've just nipped under your 15 barrier. And it is from your favourite merchant, Tanners, where your lovely Macon came from. Yes. And Tanners have stock of this, and I cannot recommend it enough. If you like Chateauneuf, if you like Syrah, Grenade, if you like richer style swarthy red wines that are is drinking now that could also go with a brilliant barbecue kind of feast you can even chill a tiny bit in the fridge Mm. this is probably my favorite wine of the season oh amazing what a tip i'm a massive chocolate block lover Love Chocolate Block, love Mark Kent, love Book and Hertzcliff, love what he does. The problem with Chocolate Block is you need a few years of age just to lose the tannins. It can be a little bit crunchy on the back of the palate unless it's had two or three years in the cellar. Is that right? And Le Pigule, this one I'm recommending, even though it's youthful, it's yep. incredibly juicy. Because you're going to bankrupt my husband once he's listened to this podcast. <laughs> can we talk about orange wine? Oh, do we have to? No, that can um, be your answer. I love that that's what you said. Organic. <laughs> what difference does it make? Is it? I mean, there were loads of questions about organic and mineral yeah. wines. Is that the same so, thing? So, no, it's not. No, it's not. But very simply, organic is the same as organic veg. You know, if you're in the supermarket and you've got the choice between an organic broccoli and non-organic broccoli, if you can afford it, you're going to go for the organic broccoli. Same thing with wine. You just know that you haven't had man-made chemicals and pesticides and fertilizer dumped on the vineyard. Now, in some parts of the world where the weather can get a bit inclement, a bit rainy, particularly at the yeah. wrong time of year for your lovely vines, you're in danger of you know, losing your crop if you get a, an attack of mould or you get, you know, all sorts of issues can happen because you're a farmer, you're farming wine. And therefore, you may have to rush out and spray everything. And if you have to do that, then you lose your organic status, don't you? But if you're in a part of the world that doesn't have, isn't so borderline, isn't so edgy, isn't so dangerous from a climatic point of view then of course you can be brave and farm organically and therefore you know pick your region pick your style pick your organic and you can drink wines that don't have any man-made stuff in them basically but are you saying that a chateau mouton rothschild is not organic not certified organic no because you know one year in ten they might have a massive attack of downy mildew and if they just didn't do anything if they just sat on their hands they would lose their entire crop and not not make any money. So ideally, you're saying drink organic. I'm saying drink organic where possible, but also just because the wine doesn't declare that it's organic, it may work in an organic way until Mm. there's a moment when they've literally just got to to act. So most of the great wines in the world work in a basically organic manner. And would you say they taste cleaner? No, it doesn't no. make any difference. Doesn't um, make any difference. But no. if you can, be organic, be organic. Yeah, I think that's the, the okay. way forward. Let's talk about British wines. Yes. What are your faves? I spent a few years as a teenager in Biddenden down in Kent and I cycled around the countryside and there were already some pretty good vineyards down there, Chapel Down, Biddenden mm-hmm. Vineyards themselves. And I was quite excited about that back then when the wines were, you know, not that great. Since 2012, since the Olympics and the Jubilee, we've seen an enormous spotlight shone on the English wine scene. And the quality of wines made is absolutely stellar. I mean, it's world class, not just one property, not just 10 properties, maybe even 20 properties making world class wines right now. 
and there would be you know more than 100 brands on the shelves and as i say i write this monthly column for vineyard magazine i've done it for two and a half years i recommend three wines a month so there is a body of 100 wines already that i think are so good that i write you know extensive tasting notes on them yeah in the daily mail i've done two huge compendiums on english wineries so and if um, there are a few wineries that you were going to give a shout out to you've mentioned chapel town what are they so not in specific sort of order i'll just do them as they come into my brain camel valley in cornwall is a brilliant property particularly for their bacchus and their sparkling rosés right Um, gusborne is an elite property everything they make is stunning rathfinney i'm doing whilst we're in this unusual corona times i'm doing a free post on my website called wednesday wines mm-hmm. and i recommend one wine over a tenner and one wine under a tenner this oh. wednesday um you'll see it on the front page of my website i recommend the rath four new rathfinney releases which are going on sale on the 29th of this month so I'm basically giving you a preview on what they're like prior to them being sold. And they're all really noteworthy wines. I love Hattingley Valley's wines, enormously sparkling wines made by them. There are so many. Ridgeview is a brilliant sparkling wine producer. And then there are estates popping up like daisies everywhere. Brand new estates, you know. I wrote up a Somerset rosé the other day called Dunleavy. The new 2019 release of the Pinot Noir rosé is amazing. If you ever want to taste the flavour of sort of hedgerows and rose hips and that sort of thing... In a Pinot Noir, you're never going to get that in Burgundy. You're never going to get that in New Zealand. But you will get that in, in our beautiful climate where we have this beautiful, cool evenings, misty Our beautiful misty climate. Mornings. That's what it's we describe. <laughs> it is a first-class climate for making sparkling wine. Even the Champagne Noir, even the Champagne lads are saying we're starting to lose acidity in our wines because of climate change. <laughs> um, are you an I Timber fan? I'm a massive Night Timber fan as well. I've been visiting them and tasting their wine since the very, very beginning. Oh. Huge, huge fan. Someone asked about Welsh wines. I mean, that's yeah. niche. It is super niche. There are not very many wineries down there. But White Castle, this is hilarious. I did a dinner for Michael Liner, the Wallaby rugby player, ex-World um, Cup winning rugby player. He's a great friend of mine, fantastic wine bore. I did a wine dinner for him um, a few months ago and I served, are you ready? You're not going to believe this a welsh port it's called white castle 1581 which is the year in which the barn was built on their property and it's a port made from a a hybrid red grape but in a porty manner so it's not really a port from portugal it's a port style drink and it is delicious Uh, there's also i suppose my favorite producer down there with my sparkling hat on is anchor anchor hill estates a-n-c-r-e Okay. Um, and they are not just organic. They're what I call super organic, verging on biodynamic. So they've taken it on the chin and they will go with it no matter what. Even if there's in the heavens open, they are mm. happy. They trust in the soil. They trust in their vines. They trust in their vineyard husbandry and their incredible farming skills. And to, this is all great mine every year. This is all happening in Wales. That's happening in Wales. And just very quickly, biodynamic means... Biodynamic is ultra-organic, where you treat the soil and the plant following the phases of the moon. 
So it's one stage off howling at the moon and living in a, a wigwam and sort of you know, <laughs> wearing a, a grass skirt. But biodynamic wines, in my experience, when you find great biodynamic wines, they have a resonance and a sort of a depth of uh, a minerality to them, that which is really quite beguiling. Let's talk about wines abroad. There were lots of questions on where to go, you know, when we can travel again. Where are the up and coming places to go to travel for wine or just good wines that we should be trying to buy from, I don't know, Hungary or abroad? Talk to us a little bit about, you know, more niche wine producers abroad. Okay, so we all love going to Portugal. I love going to Portugal every year. I won't be going this year, sadly, but Portugal is a great place to go for a holiday and also go and taste wine. The Alentejo, the Douro Valley, Vigna Verdes. Mm. Um, Spain is a great place to visit. Obviously, go to San Lucar de Barrameda down where they make Manzanilla Sherry down on the south coast near Cadiz. My God, you will have an awesome time. You will spend nothing on the hotel. You'll spend nothing on the booze and the food. And you will party all night and eat tapas all day, drinking occasional small beers to refresh yourself. You won't even see a glass of water because people drink Manzanilla from dawn to dusk. And it is the most hypnotic I style don't like of sherry. Water. I'll be fine. If you haven't been there, go there. Honestly, I think it's the cheapest gastronomic destination in Europe, San Luca wow. de Barrameda. Wow. Go to Italy. God, go to Piemonte. My goodness. Now, this isn't a cheap trip. But if you want to go to one of them, well, I call it the last great wine region of the world, the most romantic wine region with some of the finest food in this solar system. You know, Piemonte is off the charts. Um, you can stay cheaply in an agriturismo kind of place, but then you, you'll have to have some flexibility on your credit card to cope with the lunch and dinner bills because it can get quite pricey. But my God, you'll have fun. Further afield, I haven't visited Hungary and Romania on, on the wine tour, but they are very, very exciting, the innovation that's going on in both Hungary and Romania. Romania particularly, um, with Pinot Noir, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Virgin Wines is a great company to pick up Dragon Hills or Solovari Pinot Noir from Romania. For both of them, under, under a tenner, both of them are brilliant wines. Really? So you'd recommend Virgin Wines? Yep. Love Virgin Wines. They are the people who sort of power the Daily Mail Wine Club so I know them really well and they're a really reputable company great delivery system massive team of really young really enthusiastic people it's a super business yeah. no longer earned by no, Branson no, if anyone's no. not in the Branson fan club right now That's uh, right. and any other more niche wine destinations producers I mean you mentioned quite a few yeah Nobody goes to Germany anymore. And yet Germany is one of the most beautiful places to visit on the wine tour. Oh, I mean, um, I think there are some great German wines. Oh, wow. I mean, seriously. And it's not just Riesling. There are plenty of peanuts. I love a well. Riesling, though. I mean, so I, do I love a Riesling. So Germany's fun to visit. Go to Alsace. Go to Alsace in northern France. And gastronomically, it's just genius place to visit. Go to the Rhone, go to the Northern Rhone, it's land in Lyon, eat in Lyon, and then just pop down to the Northern Rhone and drink mm. Cote Roti and Condria and Crozemitage and those Syrahs mm. from there that have inspired the world to plant the Syrah grape mm. variety. Mm. I love a Grüner Veltliner as well. Yep, Austria. So that, I tend to do those on skiing trips. That's mm. great fun. Gruner's a stunning grape variety. Slips so down. It does. It's more, <laughs> slightly more intellectually pleasing than Sauvignon Blanc. And, oh, um, yes. And then, of course, just other... Yeah, it could be cheap, could be expensive holidays, southern Italy. 
and Sicily. Okay. Just going back to the restaurants, I think this is a good question to ask you. But if you're in a restaurant and you're choosing a wine, are there any that are sort of grapes regions to know of that are always good value? I mean, my father taught me once that a pickle was quite a good one to have up your sleeve. Yeah. If you were like confronted with a wine list and you're like, shit, I've got all I don't order something shit, I don't want to spend loads of money and yeah. you felt the pressure. I always think a pickle's quite reasonably priced and tastes quite good you might totally disagree no no i do do i'd say rieslings are often not too expensive hopefully they're not too sweet are there any others that you can have up your sleeve what you want to do is you want to think of the regions of the world as kind of real estate you know you want to avoid the mayfairs and the knightsbridges you want to head into slightly less expensive regions and therefore pickpool comes from the Languedoc in the south of france a less starry region than bordeaux or burgundy for example so Uh if you stick to the less starry regions then you can do well. So anything from the Languedoc, red or white, or rosé for that matter, um, should be immediately turned to that page of the winist and try and find something safe. What I tend to do with winists is I try and find a safe bet, a red safe bet and a white safe bet straight away and then try and beat it, try and find a better wine. Then you can sort of leaf through the other pages of the winist or slide your finger up and down the page and try and find a better wine. But get to a safe wine first that you'll drink, no problem. And then try and beat it. Give yourself a little bit more time. For example, you might go to New Zealand or Australia. You might go mm-hmm. to Chile or Argentina, generally mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. less expensive. You know, avoid places like Tuscany or, you know, Super Tuscans or California or places that are generally regarded as being expensive. You can always rely on Cote d'Iron. You know, Cote d'Iron okay. is yeah. a super style of red wine that's always quite, quite cheap. Okay, good tip. Oh. Few people asked about buying cases, investing for the kind of mid to long term. Happy to spend a bit of money on a case, or they're buying something for a christening or a yep. wedding present. Yep. They want something special. Where do you start? Who do you go to? Well, you start with my reports, my on primeur reports, because they're <laughs> incredibly comprehensive, and that will help. And you. can you just explain on primeur means yeah. it's not yet bottled? What does that yeah. mean? It means the wine's been made; it's sitting in a barrel, and it hasn't been okay. bottled yet. And generally, the idea okay. is that you, if you sell it as a future, effectively, you yeah. pay less for the wine. Now, of course, that doesn't isn't always the case. Just like buying a flat off plan or something. Exactly the same as Got that. You. And you know, it doesn't always work, and you really, really, really do need to use expertise to guide you through this if you don't know what you're doing mm-hmm. but most importantly once you've decided what you want to buy you must buy it from a reputable wine merchant okay. absolutely critical because you know there have been horror stories of merchants in the past going bust whilst in ownership of thousands of cases of wine that haven't yet been delivered to their customers and the customers never get the wine so you've got to go to the famous name merchants and I would so also... those stuffy old boys are the ones you want yep, when you're yep, buying. Those stuffies. You... And make sure you're insured. Okay, good yep. advice. Are there any particular wines? Someone said they love Bordeaux wines and they wanted to invest. Are there any particular sort of en primeur that you could mention? Do you know what? It's such a massive subject. I could talk for hours about this okay. alone. And it's the sort of thing that throwaway comments don't really work. What I will say, though, for your listeners, Georgie, is that I'm happy to answer every email that I get. So if someone wants Oof. to send me... Honestly, I do. I do with all my daily mail readers, all my money week readers. I'll give you specific information. I um, warn you, the, the Sherlock's subscribers are very engaged. You might regret yep. that. But anyway, no, no, you, no, said it, it. you said it. You said it. I've got a few questions to really whiz through because I want to talk about cordialities. Can you give me two of your favourite pudding wines? Oh, yes. Well, why don't you look at de Bortoli's Noble One, which is okay. from Australia? 
Yeah. And it's a wine that often beats the greatest Sauternes when it's served blind. So Sauternes, the finest style of sweet wine in the world. This is an Australian version of the same grape, Semillon. And you can look it up. It's about £20 for a half bottle. Okay. And that'll do eight people for a dinner party. So yeah. it's a bargain. That's my favourite Semillon. And I'm a sucker for off-dry Rieslings, so German Rieslings. And the Riesling level you want to look for is Spätlaser or Auslaser. That's the terminology on the label that will tell you whether it's sort of off-dry or not. Mm -hmm. And we go back to my Wine Society comment. Look at the Wine Society's list and look for German Rieslings that are Spätlaser or Auslaser. Look for someone like von Keschelstadt. The wines are inexpensive. We're talking full bottle size for less than 20 quid. And you will have a wine that is so heavenly you'll want to drink it as not just as a pudding wine, but as an aperitif wine as well. Someone said... What wine doesn't give you a headache or a hangover does organic help? I think I answered that one for you. It was like you sort of having did, yeah. one glass the, of wine. The what wine gives you... It's an absolutely ridiculous question because it's alcohol <laughs> that gives you the, the headache. Just don't drink. But the, we all know the rule. The rule is one glass of wine for one glass of water. That really? is the rule. Do you really think that makes a difference? It makes an enormous difference. Mm. But if you insist on drinking two bottles of wine or something, you're <laughs> going to get a hangover. So then it's you've only got yourself to blame. The final question I had from other people, which I thought was an excellent question, was what's the best wine to accompany homeschooling? <laughs> Anything and everything. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. Yeah. And actually, in answer to the question, what doesn't give you a headache? It's Duke's Cordialities doesn't give you a headache. Um, Certainly doesn't. You have launched a non-alcoholic substitute for wine, if I can call it that. And it's brilliant. You know, we're coming across these things more and more. And you told me you'd done this and you dropped it off. The branding's fucking cool, I have to say. (laughs) And... It's brilliant. For people listening, where did the idea come from? The idea came from a lady called Sally Singer, who was the creative director of Vogue.com in New York. She didn't know she'd given me an idea, but I had dinner with her one evening when I was hosting one of my wine dinners. And she said, look, I just don't drink during the week. I save it for the weekends with my husband because I'm too busy. I have too many meetings. You know, I can't drink champagne at every fashion launch or whatever. I wouldn't be able to work. And I just said, "Okay, that's interesting. Thanks a lot. And I went away and thought about it. And I thought about it more and I thought about it more. And then I thought, I've just got to do something about this. It's so common now that people are just too busy, too professional. They don't have the desire to drink wine all day, every day, like in the old days. And yet the alternatives are pretty dreary. It's the old Perrier and lime. It's a glass of orange juice. It's a fizzy drink. They're either hideously full of sugar or they're tasteless. And none of these drinks go with food. And so I wanted to make something that goes with food because of my food and wine heritage. And that's a point that I really have to stress. They're not full of calories and sugar and bubbles and fill you up and make you feel like you're drinking essentially a Sprite or an elderflower. And I love elderflower, but there's real sort of interest to them. So people listening, they are little bottles of cordials, aren't they? And you've got Duke's one, which is the white. Yes. Duke's six, which is the red. And you've just launched Duke's eight, which is the rosé. Correct, yeah. And you get a box of, how many are in a box? Nine in a box. In Duke's eight, there are 12. Right. And they're little three centiliter bottles. So you dilute them sort of one to eight or one to 10 or whatever. So one little bottle equals the equivalent of about, you know, for example, half a bottle of wine. Yeah. And they took me a very long time to develop because of what you just said, Georgia, because to, to make uh, a drink have a full flavour, a beautiful aroma and a really, really long dry finish from non-alcoholic in, you know, ingredient, no alcohol propping it all up. 
and also with fewer than 18 calories for a glass. You can't do it overnight. It took me a, a year to develop Duke 6 alone. There are massive notes and complexities and yeah, yeah. flavours to it. It's quite hard to explain. Yeah, but good. I'm pleased. I want them to be hard to explain. It's really quite special. And, the you know, tell people about the response you've had. I mean, I know you are due to be stocked in some amazing yeah, uh, places yeah. in London. What I did, because of my, you know, wine knowledge and knowing all of the sommeliers and the restaurants in town, I made a list of the top places and I just took my Duke's cordialities around and showed them before Christmas and then just after Christmas. And we got some listings in some of the best restaurants in the world, basically, and best wine clubs in the world. And it's simply because they understood, as I do, that there is a non-alcoholic alternative that is you know, low in sugar, low in calories, and goes perfectly with food. And of course, if you're going to sit there and eat Michelin-style food, or you're going to go and treat yourself, and, and yet you can't drink or won't drink or don't want to drink, then you've got water to accompany great food. It doesn't work. I mean, it's boring. And all of these restaurants and wine and clubs and private clubs and, and wine bars and stuff all just went, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. They yeah. work. They do the job for me. They look smart. So in terms of gifting, the packaging was designed by Barbara Osgaby Associates, who Jay and Ed designed my wine bar on the Fulham Road back in the 90s. I had a wine bar back in the 90s on the Fulham Road called The Crescent. They designed the interior for that. It was their first ever commission when they left the Royal College of Art. And these guys are design geniuses. Yeah, and, I mean, it's you know, cool. It's so, really you know, cool. The box is stunning. You know, yeah. these guys designed the Olympic torch for 2012. They, wow. they, they've got furniture, their loop table, which they actually designed for my wine bar and we didn't use in the end, which is in the permanent exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. It's also in the V&A's permanent furniture exhibition. You know, they're legend designers. And, yeah. and I asked them to do my packaging for me because I wanted it to be memorable and eye-catching mm. and special. Yeah. yeah, well, it is. I mean, you've nailed it. They've nailed it. It's brilliant. You were due to go into all these places that are now shut and yeah. you've had to pivot the business like so yeah. many people. So what's the plan now? Well, the plan is that Duke's 8, the rosé, was intended to be a limited edition for those restaurants who had taken... Dukes 1 and 6, the red and the white. And it was meant to be like a sort of treat. You know, here you go, guys. You've had faith in my brand. Here's the rosé in limited edition for this summer. But of course, because tragically all of the restaurants are shut and my heart goes out to them all. Mm -hmm. They're all, fr mm -hmm. they're all friends. They're, it's my business too. My heart bleeds for them. But we just couldn't sit there with this Dukes 8 having been made and, and no home to go to. So we pivoted immediately and allowed our private clients to buy it. So you can buy mm. it from the website from dukescordialities.com and it's packaged in a lightweight box, which is the box that goes into the restaurants. They don't need the beautiful gift box. And you get 12 bottles for the price of nine. It's just a way for us to let our private clients know that we're still innovating. We're at the same time as, you know, sitting at home and working, we're opening up accounts all over the world. We've had enormous interest from America, from Australia, from South Africa, from France, Germany, from the Middle East, from Malta. So we're going to be expanding very rapidly around the world. And at the same time, you know, we hope that this virus dies down and we manage to get back to work safely. And mm. when we get back to work safely, I hope that my team now, because before Christmas, it was just me. Now we have a team of people. We hope that my team and I will get out and, and spread the word. And, and you're doing an enormously valuable job as well, you know, tasting my Duke's cordialities and telling your beautiful followers about it as well. So I'm well, it's been a pleasure. And my husband and I, we did five days, which for me is quite what? good. We did five <laughs> days without a drink. And then Jeep's Cordialities came along Yay. and we both sat there and said, this is bloody good and it's really enjoyable. And I think Thank it's you. 
Brilliant. And what a brilliant conversation. I can't believe how long we've talked for. You must come on the show, Matthew. Yes, please. I'd love to. Um, I have loved chatting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Georgie. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Stay well, look after yourselves, and we will be back soon. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.